Welcome to Mosaic Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Mosaic Church Leeds, based in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information on Mosaic Church, please visit mosaic-church.org.uk. Thank you for listening. Good evening, everyone. Good evening. It's lovely to see you. My name is Matt. I help lead the team that leads Mosaic. And uh, it's my privilege, actually, to go uh, across uh, the three gatherings that make up Mosaic Church and um, really get to see some of what God's doing uh, amongst us. Um, it's fantastic that we have things like Jog Club going on. Um, we also really sense that uh, in the last few weeks, uh, I've spoken to many people that really sense God speaking to them about obedience to God. And a lot of that has come from uh, some of the talks that came from our Love Nations conference just a couple of weeks ago. And I just want to encourage you, if you didn't come to Love Nations, if you missed the talks or you missed any of the talks, they are now online. So you can just go to the website, click on the resources and you will get the talks. I wouldn't want any of you to miss out on what I guess uh, this sense of hearing God, obeying God and then encountering God. So if you've got a Bible, uh, I'd really appreciate if you could turn to Genesis chapter 40. That's where we are uh, at the moment in our uh, preaching on a Sunday. And I guess um, this story that we're about to read together is something like 4,000 years old. And it would be easy to think that it's irrelevant, it's old, it's got nothing to do with uh, 21st century living. But I'm hoping that uh, tonight especially we get into Joseph's world in, uh, in sort of its rich, colourful detail in such a way that we change our posture to this story um, so that we see it as uh, his life is not just an example for us, a way that we should go about our daily lives, but also uh, we would see ourselves in him. We would see ourselves in his life and his struggles and his difficulties and in his relationship with God. If you've missed um, the last few weeks, we are spending our time looking at a man called Joseph. Um, If you've seen the musical, then that is actually fairly helpful in understanding some of the timeline in Joseph's life. Uh, The musical doesn't really mention God, though, so I wouldn't wholeheartedly recommend it to you. But just so you know, Joseph, he's in his 20s. And he's a single guy. He's living in a massive city. He's very far from home. All his family are miles and miles away. He's got no church. He's got no friends. He is on his own. He's been forcibly brought to Egypt uh, as his brothers threw him into a pit and sold him as a slave. And he finds himself in a very different culture. So the religious context he's in is different from what he's used to. He would have grown up um, believing in the one true God, the God we see in the Bible, Yahweh. And yet he finds himself in a land that is covered with many, many false gods, all of which create a, a great spirituality in the city but fail to see God himself. His boss is a man called Potiphar and he's a good guy but he's got an awful wife and his wife tries repeatedly uh, to sleep with Joseph. Joseph refuses each time and finally she accuses him of rape. Her husband believes her and given her husband helps run the army he has Joseph imprisoned without a trial. And so if you're to imagine Joseph's story that's presented to us in the scriptures here's the timeline. He gets put in the pit by his brothers. He gets bought 
uh, into slavery and his new master becomes Potiphar. He ends up in prison. That's where we're spending our time tonight in chapter 40. And in time, we'll find that he gets to come before Pharaoh, interpret Pharaoh's dream. And Pharaoh uh, raises him up into an amazing position of prime minister in which he'll save the nation. So in terms of where we're progressing through the weeks, we're right slap bang in the middle of Joseph's story tonight. My hope is that we believe where in Acts 17, the Apostle Paul says that God determines the times and the places in which we all live, that we will recognize that God chose Joseph for this moment, that in the ins and outs of a life full of suffering and trials, God still achieved his purposes through this man. And that we would see that and say, here we are, here you are, in Leeds, in the UK, for such a time as this, and that we would look at the faithful example of Joseph and we would say, God, what about now? What about us? What does this mean as we live for him? So we're just going to work our way verse by verse through chapter 14. If you've got your Bibles or an app, we'll have it on the screen behind us. Let's read together. So verse 1. Some time later. We don't know how long Joseph has been alone in prison, but what we do know is that he's done well. The previous chapter, chapter 39, tells us that he was given responsibility in jail. You know you've proven yourself trustworthy when a jailer gives a prisoner the keys to the prison. He's in charge. He's the boss in prison. And I want to ask you just right up front at the start of this preach, um, At work, or at home, or at university, are you as faithful and diligent and as hardworking as Joseph was? Um, One of my kids goes, my eldest kid goes to secondary school. And at secondary school, there is a teacher that comes to the South Gathering. And my daughter Izzy tells me that this teacher, who's part of our family, um, is the best teacher in her school. He's the teacher that all the kids love, all the kids think is really funny, but is tremendously respected as a teacher. And I just think that's fantastic that a Christian in school in a really, really tough job, if any of you are teachers, it is hard work. He's committed himself to being faithful, trustworthy, reliable, and diligent and is being rewarded because of it and Joseph's example speaks to that I want to ask you if you're a student here are you someone that's diligent and faithful not just when the pressure is on I feel like I've spoken to a number of people recently that you know dissertations come in third year it really counts this year and you're working hard and you're thinking why didn't I apply myself like this earlier well for those of you in your first and second years I want to ask you you're here in Leeds to do a degree And that is the faithfulness that God's looking for you right now. Give yourself to it wholeheartedly. Give yourself to your degree and be faithful in what you do and let others know God through your example. It's gone very quiet in the room, hasn't it? Um, Guys, in the workplace, how are you doing with this? Verse 1, sometime later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt. So what we can tell from this story, food and drink are really important to Pharaoh. He is a foodie. He loves the stuff. Food appears again and again in the life of Joseph and his dealings with Pharaoh. 
The cupbearer had to make sure the best wine arrived on Pharaoh's table. And he also would drink everything before Pharaoh did to make sure it wasn't poisoned. So it was a position of real responsibility. The baker was very similar. He was in charge of the food that would land on Pharaoh's table. He had this huge responsibility of making sure every meal was perfect, Michelin star quality. However, everything's gone wrong. Verse 2, Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, in the same prison where Joseph was confined. So we don't know what's happened, but Pharaoh is upset with these two, hands them their P45s and says, don't just go and find another job, I'm putting you in jail. So they did something bad. Verse 4, the captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph and he attended them. So this is the point in the story where we see God sovereignly working in Joseph's life to connect him right to the top of the tree, right to the top of the chain, top of the decision-making process in Egypt, because he has put these two workers that are so trusted by Pharaoh right into his care and his command. So what happens? Well, verse 4. After they had been in custody for some time, each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were being held in prison, had a dream the same night. And each dream had a meaning of its own. So the Egyptians placed a very, very high value on their dream life. They believed that uh, the God spoke to them through their dreams. And so what the God of Israel does, he uses this openness to Uh, achieve something great in their lives. It makes me wonder as I read that, what are the opportunities in our culture that cause people to be open spiritually, that provide opportunities for us to speak to them about Jesus? You know, what's very common is that when people go through big transitions in life, they're more open to help and to the gospel than any other time in their life. Perhaps they're starting a family, or they're graduating, or they're moving into a new job, or perhaps moving into a new house. The same goes actually uh, in terms of suffering and times of trial. God wonderfully transforms times of desperate need in order to bring people to an openness in the gospel. Perhaps it's failed exams or failed interviews. Perhaps it's relationship breakdown. They've put their hope in a relationship and it's just fallen apart. Perhaps it's long-term illness. Perhaps it's unemployment. Perhaps it's just as simple as loneliness. We find that God can use those moments of vulnerability, of uh, the, those moments where people realize they can't do life on their own or there has to be something they've got in front of them. And also, I think you would probably agree with me that culturally speaking, we live in a sort of a a real sort of diverse uh, spiritual climate. We either have many friends and family that are just dead to things that are spiritual. You know, it's like there's nothing there when you speak to them about God or spirituality. It's like, no, don't believe anything. Or you have people that are just open to anything and everything. So you can speak to them about their, having their palms read or you can speak to them about tarot cards or you can talk to them about prayer or meditation or dream life or prophecy or whatever it is and there's an openness to those things. You know, I guess I would like to say to you is look around you and spot the people in transition. Look around you and spot the people in trials and difficulty and look around you and spot the people that are open spiritually and gently lead them to Jesus. 
people are often surprisingly open to prayer. At the very least, with those that are open spiritually, you can find some common ground to have a conversation that goes deeper than normal. But in all of that, be on the front foot to pray, be on the front foot to see God meet with them. You know, we saw someone become a Christian uh, in one of the other gatherings just a couple of weeks ago. And what happened is 10 years ago, he had an experience of the Holy Spirit. They couldn't explain. He didn't know quite what it was. Zoom into present day, God brought him into contact with one of our mission groups. And it was there. And then in coming on a Sunday, someone prayed for him. He got filled with the Holy Spirit and he recognized what had happened 10 years before. And he'd taken all that time, but suddenly in that moment, he knew that he needed to give his life to Jesus. And so we must be open to what God is doing. So verse 6, when Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. So he asked Pharaoh's officials who were in custody with him in his master's house, why are your faces so sad today? We both had dreams, they answered, but there's no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. And so they both have dreams. And I love this about Joseph. He's in prison. He's in prison through no fault of his own. He's been betrayed by his family. He is a penniless slave. No one visits him in jail. He is totally alone. Yet he notices their pain and suffering. It's not all about him. He notices their pain and suffering. It actually reminds me of Jesus's ability at the very sort of like the, the most painful moments of his life on his way to the cross and then hanging on the cross. He has this incredible ability to not just think of his own suffering, but look to the suffering of others. He speaks to John and tells him to look after his mother Mary in John 19 verse 26. He speaks to the criminal hanging uh, to his side and brings him comfort and peace in Luke 23 43. And he even has pity on his executioners and forgives them for what they do in Luke 23 34. Listen, I just want to sort of put this to you, but I believe that if suffering in the long run turns us inward, and so we become self-absorbed and self-focused, then something hasn't gone right in the process. Over the long haul, like we see in Joseph's life, years and years of suffering, we find that he hasn't become bitter in prison. But there's an openness to God. And for us, there should be an openness to others because God loves to use the church family to bring his comfort and bring his love and mercy. And so Joseph, Joseph is an example to us on how to suffer well. How to not become all self-absorbed. So what do these guys dream? Verse 9, so the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream. He said to them, in my dream, I saw a vine in front of me. And on the vine were three branches. And as soon as it budded, it blossomed and its cluster ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand and I took the grapes and I squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup and put the cup in his hand. This is what it means, Joseph said to him. The three branches are three days. And within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your position. And you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand, just as you used to when you were his cupbearer. But when all goes well with you, remember me 
and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of prison, for I was forcibly carried off from the land of Hebrew, of the land of the Hebrews. And even here, I've done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. So can you see what Joseph is saying? He's saying in three days' time, it's Pharaoh's birthday. And it's going to be a great birthday because he's going to let you out of jail. And he's going to give you your old job back. And everything's going to be great. And you're just going to be sort of bursting out the scenes with joy and celebration. And as you do that, please, please don't forget about me here. I don't deserve to be in jail. Will you mention me to Pharaoh? So the baker hears the cupbearer's interpretation and is pretty excited about what he hears. And so eagerly he runs to Joseph and says, will you give me an interpretation of my dream? And this is how it goes. Verse 16, when the chief baker saw that Joseph had, a favor, had given a favorable interpretation, he said to Joseph, I too had a dream. And on my head were three baskets of bread. And in the top basket, there were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh. But the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. This is what it means, Joseph said. The three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head and hang you on a tree and the birds will eat away your flesh. I mean, that's an awkward moment, isn't it? <laughs> an awkward moment where Joseph says, I'm really sorry. I'm sorry. I can't, I can't fake it here. This is the interpretation. You're going to the same birthday party, but Pharaoh's going to kill you. He's going to string you up. He's going to take your head off. Your body's going to hang in a tree long enough for birds to come and eat it. You know, what strikes me most about what Joseph does here is that he speaks the truth in love. He speaks the truth in love. How are you doing with speaking the truth in love? You know, I think this is one of the hardest parts of Christianity. You see, there are certain parts of Christianity that are very easy to talk about. There's certain things, there's truths about what we believe that we absolutely love to talk about. We love to talk about the fact that God loves us. God's a father who loves us so much that even though we've strayed from him, he sends his son to take the punishment that we deserve, to make a way that we couldn't make on our own, to bring us back to God so we enjoy forgiveness and relationship and friendship. We get to know God through the power of the Holy Spirit coming and filling us with peace and joy like we've never known before. And it's not just for this life, but it will get better and better through eternity as we spend it with others focused on our Lord Jesus. I mean, I quite like talking about those sort of things. They're easy things for us to share with one another. But you know, that's not the full picture. That's not the full breadth of the story. You see, the full breadth of the story is not only that God brings that sort of love and acceptance and forgiveness, but there is also the side of the story that says, what happens if you choose not to receive that? And the Bible's very clear that there is a gift on the table of salvation that you have to unwrap to receive its benefits. And if you choose to say, no, no thanks, I don't want that gift of salvation, then God respects your decision. He doesn't force himself on you. And he says, very well. So for this life and the life to come, I'll step back. And what the Bible says, that there is a place where God isn't, where 
his love and his mercy and his goodness and his grace have been taken away. And the Bible calls that place hell. And if you choose not to receive the payment that's been made for your sin, that gift, someone has to pay for it. And that person will be you. That person will be you if you do not receive the free gift of grace that is offered in Christ. And there are eternal consequences for you paying the price for your sin. Death and separation. And that's speaking the truth in love. And I wonder how you're doing with that side of the story. I wonder when you last express that side of the story in love. And I wonder who in your life right now needs to hear that side of the story. You see, we mustn't back off from that as Christians. It is the most loving thing we can do. And not only does this speaking the truth in love apply to the gospel, what we believe about salvation, but it also applies in our everyday lives with one another with fellow Christians. How are you doing at speaking the truth in love? You know, it's not easy, but it's necessary. And I've had multiple moments in my life and multiple moments in the last couple of years where I've had to sit down with people and speak the truth in love. If you continue with that course of action, your marriage will be over. If you move there to take that brilliant job and there is no local church, you will die spiritually in the next couple of years. If you spend your money on that, you are completely compromising the radical lifestyle you want to live. If you never put your roots down, you will never be part of the community in the way that you want to be part of it. You are sinning. Stop it. Take responsibility. It's not their fault. It's yours. I don't shout when I say that. <laughs> you know, sometimes we have to do it. Ephesians 4.15 says it's speaking the truth in love. And what's fascinating is that we need to find that balance between truth and love. Because most of us are really good at the loving side of things. We don't want to offend we don't want to be rude. We don't want to overstep the mark. We don't want to jeopardize the relationship. We don't want to offend in any shape or form because we will be rejected. So what we, do we do? We pull our punches. We play it safe. We tell the truth but not quite in its fullness. We give the 90% but don't give the final 10. Others of us, only a minority, err on the side of truth without the love. And these sort of people just end up going in and... And doing a lot of damage because they speak the truth, but it has no love. Perhaps it has an edge of anger or bitterness or jealousy about it. And obviously we are called to speak the truth in love. We're called to get the balance right. As Jesus perfectly walks that line, so we with the mind of Christ can walk that line too. Do you tend to speak with love, without truth, or do you tend to speak the truth without love? We need to speak the truth in love. You see, whenever there is intimacy and transparency in speaking the truth in love, you know what happens? Well, lives get molded and shaped 
and changed and turned around for the good. Uh, Proverbs describes it really beautifully. Proverbs 27 verse 17 is iron sharpens iron. So one man sharpens another. That's why in our church we have such a big deal about accountability groups. A lot of people put off by the name, oh, that just sounds like turning up and confessing loads of stuff that I did wrong. Now, accountability groups at their very heart are two or three people that are friends, that are committed to one another, that are accountable with one another about just how they're living. So they celebrate all the great stuff, but they also talk about the tough stuff. And over time, there's a sharing of stories to such an extent, it creates this safety net for you to speak the truth in love. And that's our hope for every single one of you. As part of our church family, you find the, the one or two other people that you can share intimately with. Without it, I tell you, you will have so many blind spots. You will find it difficult to grow in your life as a Christian. And so I just want to call you, for those of you not yet taken that step. You know, um, when I first became a Christian, for the first eight years of being a Christian, what I learned was this, pretend, pretend, pretend. And so my experience of being a Christian was I saw all these godly people. It, that wasn't my story. And so I faked it. And I kept everyone at a distance because I knew if they came up close, they would see the reality of what was really going on. When I finally plucked up the courage to let someone in, it was awful because all I felt like I was doing was talking about all my junk. And that was not really wanted, what I wanted to spend my time doing. And then I guess as things started to move on, it also felt a bit like I just didn't, I didn't feel I had much to say. I didn't feel like I was being helpful. And I guess even now, 